Yeah. Um, so Halloween was on Friday night, and my really good friend Mikey in, in the back that runs our sound for us, he he dressed up. That's all you get. Flavor Flav is in the house. That's what it is. It was, it was all Flavor Flav. Anybody not know Flavor Flav? Okay, sorry. Google Flavor Flav, but make sure you put your, like, safe search on. Okay? And you'll be good. Uh, and, and the funny thing is, I, you at the tattoo show, I show up and I'm wearing this shirt. It says security. And I must have had four people go, oh, is that your costume? I'm like, Seriously? What's the deal? What's the deal? Yeah. Could I? I got a hurt elbow, okay? Uh, if you, we're doing this thing on Thanksgiving where we're getting together in some people's houses. And I'm, I have two in Orchid that we're doing, and I kind of need one in Santa Maria proper. I would say like that side of Betaravia. If you have a larger backyard and you don't mind like a bunch of people showing up and being like, woo and stealing your stuff, no, just, but showing up and, and having to kind of get together at your house the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving, come and talk to me, you know, and I'll tell you all about it, it'll be good, and hopefully it'll be okay. Uh, we did Make a Difference Day where you guys went out and you helped like at five different homes in our community with some people who uh, couldn't really do a whole lot of stuff because they're older and things, but anyway, one of them was, was this project here, these steps were out uh, the back of this lady's trailer, you know, we catch fire and she got to get out, she's going to die, and that wasn't good, so they replaced the steps, so it looks like now. Yay! So there you go, good for you, you guys are amazing. <laughs> no, it was good, was it Sean and who else, Doug? Doug and, Ethan. and Ethan, well, that's because Ethan had to, right? <laughs> I won't tell you this story, but if you want to, you can talk to Ethan Brown about his story. About never mind. Why don't you guys stand there, read God's word, and we'll get going here. We are going to talk about one of the verses that uh, everybody holds up the signs with at the football games, and they say John three sixteen. They got a fro, but it's like multicolored, not just like Sean's red one. So we'll talk about that. Some this is this is John three thirty five. It goes like this: The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Let's pray, Father. This morning. We ask that we would be a people that, that hear the truth of the things that you want to say to us, that we would not just hear them, but that we would believe them, that the truth that, that you speak to us is something that we go and we live our lives in, and that as much as we hear the word God loves us, that, that, that wouldn't just be just a phrase, it would be something that we walk with and live within. Amen. Have a seat. You are going to hear that phrase a lot this morning, God loves you. We're going through the book of John. This is, I don't know, week seven or eight, and we're in John chapter three, so that's so how it's going to go. It's going to be good. Um, I love uh, John because typically John relates Jesus sometimes in terms of how he relates to people, how he talks to people. Uh, you see this with the centurion. You see him when he talks to his mom. You see this with the woman at the well, which we'll get to in a couple weeks. And today you see it with a guy named Nicodemus. Jesus comes and he talks to this guy. Some people think that God, oh, he's just too busy for me. He's busy with all those other people. But this kind of story tells you that God cares about us. He wants to come and talk to you because he believes that you need to hear him and the things that he has to say. So God comes and speaks truth into our lives. Uh, and hopefully the relationship that you see today between Jesus and Nicodemus will also propel you further in your relationship with Jesus and how he relates to him. So open your Bibles to John chapter 3. 
Come on. Oh. Oh. If you don't have a Bible, uh, actually a couple was here in first service this morning, their first time's here. They didn't actually own a Bible. And if you don't have one, come and see us. We'll give you one. I mean, it's not the best Bible in the world. It's got like a paper cover, so don't let it get rained on or something. But we will give you a Bible because everybody needs to have one. Okay, John 3, 1. And I can say when I read something, I can go, see, it's really in there. And you believe me because it's actually in there. John 3, 1. starts like this. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Now, the Pharisees, they're, they're loved by the people. Today, we think of Pharisees and we think, oh, those Pharisees, they're legalistic, evil guys. During this day, they loved the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the most religious people in the day. They, they, were, uh, they followed the law the closest. They gave the most. They knew multiple languages. They were like the most patriotic people in Israel that you would find. As a matter of fact, there were no more than 6,000 Pharisees at one time in the nation of Israel. And Nicodemus, as one of these people, he comes to Jesus, and Jesus actually teaches him. I think it's great that Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, realizes his need to learn. And the most important thing we can learn from Nicodemus is our things to be students as well. He says, uh, a member of the Jewish ruling council. This means he was also part of the Sanhedrin. This is a council of 70 men who are the most influential in regard to faith, and they're most pious, the most right, the most devoted men in the entire nation. So he's part of the 6,000, and he's part of the 70. I mean, he's, he's a dude. You know, he's, he's, like, he's like the guy. Scholars actually tell you that the Apostle Paul at some point was probably also a member of the Sanhedrin. We know he was a Pharisee, and they think that, depending on how things crossed over, that Nicodemus and Paul may have actually worked together at some point. Uh, Nicodemus is highly educated. He is very influential, and he is probably very wealthy, according to John 19. You see this because at Jesus' burial, Nicodemus shows up. And what he does is he brings the spices and the burial clothes and they wrap Jesus up, kind of like a burrito, uh, for his burial. This could be very expensive. It could be very expensive. And so Nicodemus, in coming to Jesus, he has a lot to lose. He has a lot to lose. Okay, so verse 2 says this. He came to Jesus at night. Now, some people knock Nicodemus for this. Well, he comes at night. They say, oh, well, he's ashamed. He, he doesn't want to lose his privilege. And, you know, I, that, I don't know if that's true or not. I, I kind of have two ideas on this whole thing. The first one is this, is that John likes to use metaphors. You, use, you see branch and vine and light and dark and life. That John is always using metaphors because he's relating to Greeks. And so Nicodemus is shown to be in the dark throughout the book of John. Jesus is shown to be the light. And so Nicodemus is in the dark and he comes to the light to know the light. So I think that might be part of it too. Also, Nicodemus is a teacher, and I think Nicodemus knows how busy a teacher can be. You know, so he comes when Jesus is actually free. Jesus at this point had just churned 180 gallons of water into wine, which we'd be breaking down his door too. Hey, can you do that at my house? That, that's a great deal. It's, it's free. It's even cheaper than the two-buck chuck we serve for communion, you know, stuff like that. It's, it, it's good. And also, Jesus had just cleared the temple. So he, you know, there's a lot of people clamoring after him. They want to know who he is. So he comes at a time when Jesus actually has some time. He breaks into a solitude in his alone time. As a pastor, you're not allowed to do that. Okay, I'm just... Okay. First, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, this means teacher, so he recognized Jesus as a teacher. We know you are a teacher who comes from God. So Nicodemus comes, and the first thing he shows to Jesus is humility. He says, okay, I recognize you're a teacher, that you come from God. I've seen the miracles. Let's see. I want to know if you're genuine. And the hardest thing for most people is to believe what Jesus actually says because it's so simple. Because we think we know so much better than he does, and we don't usually come in humility. We say, God, this is what I want. Do what I want. Do my thing. 
And yet Nicodemus comes and he's very humble. And Nicodemus could come to Jesus and he could talk about the temple, he could talk about the priesthood, the line of Abraham, talk about prophecies coming true, quote the entire Old Testament. And yet Jesus teaches him some very simple things and Nicodemus listens and Nicodemus learns. It's interesting that he says, you come from God, now I'll listen. He probably had thousands of questions. But he just says, I'm going to listen. And that's hard to do. He says, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. I've seen the power of God demonstrated in your life. And so now Jesus gets to choose the topic of their conversation. So Jesus turns it in this direction. And I love what they talk about. Hey, this is how it goes. Verse 3. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. Take a little short excursion here about this. This was a phrase that a lot of rabbis would use. They would say, I tell you the truth to make this thing is coming and it's true. Listen to what I'm saying. I also think Jesus uses this phrase a lot because the world is filled with lies. That Satan is the father of lies, the deceiver, and we are caught in lies. And yet Jesus speaks the truth to you and I. Because we need to know the truth. So he constantly says this, I tell you the truth. Lies pervade everything and yet Jesus tells the truth. He constantly prefaces his sayings with that, I tell you the truth. The issue is faith and trust. Do we believe what Jesus says is true? He says, you may not understand it this way, and you may not like it, but this is the truth. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now, we all hear this phrase, oh, born again, you need to be born again, born again. And sometimes it kind of loses what it really means, because you say it to somebody, and they're like, I don't understand what that means. What does born again mean? I'm going to tell you this morning. You're going to walk out of here going, I know what that means. It's great. He says, the kingdom of God, uh, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Uh, the kingdom of God, it's kind of like this. A few years ago, we live in America. We find out democracy is a total mess, right? All right, you got the ads. Yes, no. Is this on? Yeah, okay. Democracy is a total mess, right? It's like we don't know who's doing what. It's, oh, oh, my goodness, this is awful. What's going on? Because a fickle people vote for a king they think is going to fix all the problems, and then he doesn't, and nobody wins, and it's it's total mess. Remember the whole Gore-Bush thing? Yes. Right, okay, yeah. You got all the recounts. We're going to recount and recount and recount. Whatever. I can't remember what politician said this because they're all kind of the same in my mind at this point. And he says this, all we're seeking is the will of the people. I'm like, okay, well, the will of the people is confusion and the people got their will because that's kind of how that goes. The, the kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God in his people. And so better than what we have would be a true and benevolent, and I'm going to say this and might freak you out when I say this, but a true and benevolent dictatorship okay, that is run by Christ, who we can tell, who we know that tells us the truth and can make the best decisions. I, every morning, my wife drives her nuts because I set my alarm and it goes off. I do a lot of things driving nuts, but the alarm goes off and I hit snooze like five, six, seven times. Okay, I'm like, Doo! and I'm and I'm just praying, Jesus, come back instead of an earthly rain, please, before the next thing goes off. And then when people come up to me, they go, I got questions about the Bible. I'll be like, I'm unemployed. Go see Jesus. You'll be like, oh, I, I need uh, some counseling. Go see Jesus. One session, you're all better. You know, that's that's, that's how Jesus does it. And in this, in, in John's gospel. He doesn't talk so much about the kingdom of God because of his audience to the Greeks. And so when he does talk about it, it's very important. Why does he bring this up? He says, the kingdom of God will be seen by those who are born again. And some people get really scared of that because we think about a benevolent dictatorship and we're afraid because somebody shouldn't have that much power. Oh, my goodness. But what if that person who has that power is a benevolent and good king and that king is your dad and that guy loves you and he wants the best for you? 
He says, when you are born again, you will long to see the rule and the reign of God, that God being our king, and God is noble, and God is holy, and God is just, and God is right. Nicodemus, you will see this if you are born again. And this whole thing, born again, it means born from above, starting over, erase what you think, begin again. I got this, oh, it's back here in this pile of stuff. This Etch-a-Sketch. Anybody ever play with an Etch-a-Sketch when you were a kid? Okay, this is your life, okay? It's purple and green. And you're just, and, you, and this is your life. You're just going through your life, just turning knobs, turning knobs. You're just going and... I know you can't see it, but it's very interesting. Okay. You know, in your life, I don't know if you can see it. Can you see how this looks? It's just like a mess of lines. And this is your life. And this is what it means to be born again. Ready? You meet Jesus and you go like this. Hey, look at that. It's nice. Still purple, but it's nice. And everything comes into line in a different way. You come and see Jesus, and you say, Jesus, what do I need to know? What do I need to learn? Most schools of public speaking tell you that when you speak, you must be clear. You always have to be clear. Jesus, at times, he teaches so people don't get it. He looks at Nicodemus, and he says, you must be born again. And he steps back, and Nicodemus is like, what? Verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asks, surely you cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb. And this is, again, Christians are always like, you need to be born again. And people in our world are like, what does that mean? They don't get it. We need to be living in such a way that people understand what that actually means. I mean, Nicodemus is like, if I want to see God, i got to crawl back in my mom? She would hate that. <laughs> she worked so hard to get me out the first time. <laughs> mom. Jesus is wrestling with his mind to try to get him to understand this concept. Verse 5, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. So there's two births. The first one is water. Your water breaks. Out you come with a little pushing. You know, out you go. You're born through water. Physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. We like to sin. We only look for motive and opportunity to do it and hopefully not get caught. We love to sin. We are born separated from our God. The second birth takes you to be spiritually alive as well as physically alive. You're born from the Spirit. And that is a miracle. Ephesians 2 1 says, As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins. And then you go to Romans 8, 10 and 11. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit, your second birth, is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. You have been given forgiveness and grace. You were an enemy of God and now you are children of God. The Spirit of God gave you life. The Spirit of God opened your eyes. The Spirit of God opened your ears. The Spirit of God gave you a heart to believe. The Spirit of God caused you to be a new creation and changes your desires and your destiny. You have been born again. Make sense now? Exactly, exactly. New father, new family, new life. God is alive and he's doing his work in and through you. And many times we do not see that unless you are born again. Verse 6, he says, flesh gives birth to flesh. It's like, you know, anatomy 101. People give birth to people. That's how it works. Uh, no, one, no one has been a Christian their whole life. I talk to people sometimes. They say, well, I've been a Christian my whole life. And I'm like, no. You know, you may have gone to church your whole life. Good for you. Your parents may be Christians. Great. That doesn't mean jack for you. It doesn't mean anything for you. Flesh does not birth eternal life. It only births the opportunity for eternal life. He says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. The spirit does that miracle. Verse 7, you should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. 
See, so he takes this whole thing and wraps it back together. And I love that of all the things that they could talk about, this is where the conversation goes. And if you, got, if you had two hours with Jesus, what would you talk to him about? Yeah, Jesus, what's the deal with tongues? You know, what's, what's going on with that? It's kind of, uh, I, I don't get that thing. You know, what's up with Ezekiel rolling one side, the other stomp around? Song of Solomon, can a married couple really do that? You know, uh, questions I want to ask. You know, if you got to predestination, free will. Okay, put it together for me. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting to hear it out. You know, I, what's up with the with those people on TVN? You know, are they really Christians? You know, is that, is that... <laughs> good thing there's no video. Can I be like, ah. you know, what's up with all those crazy left behind people? You know, what's going on with all that? You know, they're kind of they're kind of off. You know, what would your issue be? What would you go in and want to talk about? When Jesus gets to choose the topic, what Jesus talks about is how God works in and through people. That's what he wants to talk about, how God longs to change people. Verse 8, he says this, The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. He shows that the Spirit has purpose, that it is not just a force, that the Spirit is actually God. It cannot be contained. The words for wind, breath, and Spirit in the Greek, they're all the same word, and all the same word. Anyone love the wind? Yeah, I mean, so you're like a kid, and, and it's like, you know, your dog can't stick his head out the window because your head's out the window. It's like, ah. I remember my dad had this, had this truck when I was growing up, when, and when you can ride in the back of the trucks. Remember that? Anybody? Yes. Okay. I fell and bumped my head a few times, and I see why it's illegal. It, it kind of messed me up, you know. But uh, <laughs> So... Uh, I'd ride in, in the back of the truck with my dad and his dog and he'd hang on to things and, you know, he'd slobber in the dog's mouth and slobber in yours. It's just beautiful. You know, it's, it's good. Not, it's like good wind, not Santa Maria wind, you know, that smells all the time, but, but good wind. The wind is forceful. The wind is powerful. And you don't see the wind, but you only see the effects of the wind. And that is how the Spirit of God is. Totally powerful, always on the move, uncontainable, unseen. You see the effects of the work of the Spirit. It's like the wind, how it blows in trees and us. You don't see it, but you see the effects. If the Spirit of God is alive and He's blowing in you and moving and He blows through us into the kingdom of God. I have half ownership in a, in a computer company. And uh, business is bad right now because <laughs> just the economy and stuff. And so uh, I, I don't ever make any money on it, which I wish I did. But uh, one of the guys that work for us, his name's Matt, who's sitting around here somewhere somewhere. Where are you, Matt? There he is. Okay. And so what Matt does is, is he goes, he's our technician. And so Matt goes out and he fixes people's computers. And sometimes the, he walks up and he's like, oh, I couldn't believe how dirty this thing was. So he takes this, this can of like air. Air comes in a can. What do you know? You know, he takes this can of air and he goes and he blows the whole thing out. And sometimes they run better just from being blown out from all the dirt and the garbage that's inside. One of the things that Jesus says, that's kind of the thing the Spirit does. It blows in us. It blows out the garbage so we can see and hear and know the kingdom of God, that we can be born again, that the wind of the Spirit blows in and through us and it blows out the confusion and the lies and everything is clear and we can see God's kingdom. Jesus talks about how God moves and he moves in people. That is what he sees as important. Verse 9, how can this be? Nicodemus asks because he's still a little confused. Nicodemus lives in a world of rules and regulations. And you follow them exactly and then God loves you. you. You earn it. He says, Nicodemus is like, you make it sound this is like something that God does. Exactly. Exactly. It's something that God does. It's like, can God fix us? Can God teach us? Can God heal us? Verse 10, Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? being born again. 
you're a teacher and you don't get it. These are the things that matter to God. He says you spend all your time studying and you're, and you're reading all this stuff, but you forget about God and people. God, people, the work of the Spirit, that's what he cares about. Verse 11, he says, I tell you the truth. There it is again. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. This is a title referencing in Daniel about the Messiah. He tells Nicodemus that he is here and he needs to believe in him. Nicodemus only sees it one way. And Jesus keeps saying, I tell you the truth. It is not like you think. It is this way, Nicodemus. This is what God cares about. Jesus is God. He sat up in heaven. He sees it all. And he tells Nicodemus how to get to the kingdom of God. And it seems simple. Because it is simple. Jesus simply says, trust me. Trust me on this. And we always lose sight of those very simple things. Jesus says, trust me. We're like, okay, but things are really hard right now. I'm not going to trust you. And we run off and do our own thing. And Jesus is like, just trust me. I know what works best in your life. I made you. Trust me. We're like, oh, but I don't know. I mean, this goes even to very simple things such as you're forgiven. I don't know. I don't know. God loves you. Well, maybe not so much. Have you seen the things I do in it? You're a child of God. Yeah, well, you know, maybe. It's not that what Jesus says is perplexing. It's that we don't trust that he tells us the truth. Romans 3, 4 says, Let God be true and every man a liar. The question for us is, do you believe that Jesus tells you the truth? The bottom line, if you do, it will change your life. And if you don't, you may say you believe in Jesus, but you only see him as another teacher. You need to believe the things he says. And so to quote, to show who Jesus is, he quotes this weird story to Nicodemus saying, I'm the Messiah, believe me. He quotes this weird story. Verse 14. But just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Like, well, that's, that's a bizarre statement. It's like Jesus is talking. It's like haiku. And it's like, okay, what are we doing? You know, it's, it just goes back to Numbers 21. God leads the children of Israel out of slavery and bondage and he takes them into the desert and they're out there and he provides food and water for them and I mean miraculous things that God is doing and yet they start bickering and complaining again. They come to God. They have their agenda. We want you to do this and this and this. So God sends snakes to bite them and some of them start to die. See, that's one way you silence the masses. They, they die. Oh, you got a problem? It could be worse. <laughs> You die. You stop complaining. Better for me. You know? So snakes come out and they start biting everybody. And then so Moses is like, God, your people are dying. What do we do? And God goes, okay, this is what you do. You take a snake and you put it on a stick. And if people want to be healed, they look at the snake. What? I, I, you got to be born again. Snake on a snake. What? And that's the whole deal. It's like, it's like, look at the snake. How does a fake snake have more power than a real snake? It's faith. You trust what God said is true. And so Moses does it. You look up. So Jesus makes this parallel. Just as that snake was raised up, I too am going to be raised up. And so this should make you as a Christian go, what? The serpent is a picture of Jesus? Like, serpent bad. Jesus good. You know, Genesis 3, serpent bad. In Revelation, serpent bad. It goes in lake of fire. Jesus good. And it makes you, does it make you just kind of go, huh? Yeah. Okay, good. Just making sure you guys are with me. because you know, well, What's this? Let me ask you this. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, why did he die? Sin. Good. Not complicated. It's easy. Whose sin? 
our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Okay, there's a deal. Great transference. As Jesus hung there, our sin was put there in our place. Our sin was there on Jesus in our place. The work of the serpent, chaos, lies, all the sin was placed upon Jesus. Our sin hung on the cross. The work of the serpent hung on the cross and was judged and dealt with through Jesus' death. And so Jesus says, in numbers you want to be healed. You look up and you saw the serpent. Now you want to be healed. You look up and you see the Son of Man. All the sin laid upon there on him. You look up and see all your sins, past, present, and future, were laid upon him. I will tell you, today, if you look upon him, you'll be forgiven and you'll be healed. The gospel does two things. It pays for our sins so that we are forgiven, and it heals and raises us to new life. That's what it does. And it heals us against the sins we have committed against other people and the ones that have been committed against us. You know, statistically, in our world, over the globe, one-third of all women have been abused in some way. In our world, people need healing and resurrected new life. And the gospel does both of those things on our behalf. The question for us becomes, where has the serpent bit you? You know, where have you been hurt? Where have you hurt others? You look on him and you're healed. Jesus says that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. That does not mean, oh, I got fire insurance, I get to go to heaven only. I mean, that's, I hate people when they talk like that. Receive Christ, go to heaven, yay. Okay, well, what do I do for the next 60 60, 40, 80 years. You know, what do I do for the rest of my life? I just wait till I die and get to go? No, you live eternal life. You are born again. The Spirit blows through you. You have new life. I mean, this is the whole thing where Jesus keeps taking this thing. This is where you got to go. Your life is lived. God has come and lived for you and died for you. How do you think God feels about you? What is his attitude towards you? Jesus tells us, this is how he says how God feels about us. He says, for God so loved the world. We only love those who are lovable. We only love those who actually like us. The world is a screwed up mess. It is the enemy of God. That is John's words. And he loves them. And he loves them out of it and sends us when he saves us back into it so they can see his love through our hands. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I just don't think God loves you. I mean, that is the point. God wants to forgive your sin. God wants to heal you. Because when you're bound to sin and chaos and lies, you are not living free. God wants to heal his kids so they can in turn live and enjoy the fullness that comes from the kingdom of God. Not to survive, not to just be alive, but to truly live. That is John's concept of salvation throughout the gospel of John. Belief in Jesus, who is God, leads to eternal life. That's how it works. Eternal life is marked by two things. It is marked by truth and freedom. Truth makes you free. So you breathe deeply the wind of the Spirit and it fills us up and sends us on our journey. As your pastor, I do not want you guys to merely just survive. I don't want you just to survive. I want you to live life that is full of joy that comes from Christ. I love it when people laugh. I think laughter is worship. I think heaven is going to be full more of laughter than anything else because God is a God who loves to laugh. I mean, Nicodemus apparently did not know this. He apparently did not understand this truth. In Greek mythology, where, where John kind of is right at this point, you have all these capricious gods. Uh, you know what capricious means if you went to public school. Uh, 
Capricious means that you never know if they're coming or going. Are they angry? Or are they happy? Are they, are they sad? You never know what they're doing. And so in this world, you have all these capricious gods. It's like you've got these male gods, and they're like, oh, I love all the hot women. You know, and the next day it's like, oh, I want to kill all the hot women. And then, then you've got the women gods who are like, oh, I love all the hot guys. And the next day it's like, I want to kill all the hot guys. You never know what they're doing. It's insane. I mean, and this is the world that he's in. And then you have Islam today as an example. Islam has 33 names for God. Not one of them is love. Not one of them. You go to 1 John chapter 4, it says God is love. God is love and he loves you. Nothing is more powerful than God's love. See, God's love heals us. God's love renews us. God's love restores us. God's love encourages us. God's love comforts us. God loves you because God is good. Not because you are, but because he is. And the question, do you believe that Jesus is telling you the truth? God loves you. For me, it's easy to believe that now I'm sinful because I know me and I know the things I do and I know the thoughts that I think about people. None of you in this room, you know. But I know the thoughts that I think. And I think, man, I know I'm sinful. On their side, it's very hard for me to believe that sometimes that God loves me because I know me. But it's grace. I mean, that, that somehow God emotionally extends himself to me. If you don't believe Jesus, you're going to be like Nicodemus started, because I do think he changed later, and you will begin to trip over the simplest of things in Scripture, that Jesus came and died to prove the Father loves you and the Father can get his kids back. Your dad is seeking you. Your dad is finding you. Your dad is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he loves you. Verse 17, he says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, because the world's already condemned back in Genesis, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. I mean, simple. Simple. Your sins make you condemned. Jesus makes you free. Are you condemned or do you believe? That's the question. That's the question. Do you believe that Jesus died for you? Do you believe that Jesus rose for you? I mean, who wouldn't want to believe that? It's, verse 19, he says, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. From Genesis to Revelation, light is all about God. Truth is all-encompassing concept of who God is in this person. So here's the deal. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. We love the darkness. We love it. God's Spirit knows we tried to hide. Our, we got these little things and we're like, Oh, if God just doesn't see this, I hope he doesn't tell me to give this up because I love this. And God's always like, No, I want that. Oh, he isn't talking about this. He's talking about that. Because we love our darkness. We're trying to hide our darkness. And the more that we love our darkness, the more that we will doubt the love of God. He says, men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Today they even boast about it. We put it on TV. It's called reality TV. And we put it up on, and everybody gets to see it. Here's your dark. Woo, here's my darkness. Look at it. It's, it's so wonderful. If you walk into the light, in the true light, you get exposed because of your sin. Some people hide their darkness because they're ashamed of it. They don't want people to know about it. Either way, God's light has shined. Either way. And he calls us into the light. And I will tell you, there's only one reason that anybody would bring their darkness and take it into the light and be exposed. And that one reason is this, that if you believe that God really loves you, that's the only reason you would take your darkness and set it out there and be exposed. It's if you believe that God really loves you, that he is your king, he knows about it already anyway, but that's the only reason. Verse 20 says, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light 
so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. What has been done has been done through God. God redeems us. And that is why every single week we come and we take communion. We break that cracker that represents Jesus' body, which was broken for us. We dip it in the wine or the grape juice that represents his blood that was shed for us. And we take that and we remember that we now have been raised to walk in new life. That his, he loves us so much that he died so that we can experience this new life. That we can be born again. That the Spirit of God can blow through us and blow out all the junk and confusion and the lies and we can walk into the light. You do communion every week. We, we sing songs about redemption and hope and love and grace because this is how God feels about us. Uh, we, we give because God's given to us, so we give back. We, we fellowship. I always get you guys trying to hang out with each other and do things with each other. And you may be like, well, those people are really weird. Yeah, but God loves them too, okay? And you're probably weird too, so whatever, you know? And it's how you can get you guys together to fellowship, to meet each other and spur each other on to good works in Christ. And it's, it's a good thing. And we have a prayer every single week. I put the elders in the back of the room. And, and I tell you guys, if you are not born again and you want to be, talk to them. Or if, or if you have been born again and your spirit is, is, you're just so full of junk and you need it blown out, pray with them. If you want to understand the basic, simple things and you have a hard time just trusting Jesus, pray with them. Pray with them. Because that is what it, trusting and believing in Jesus. This morning you pray that God would do His work of convicting you and I. I mean, if, if you are afraid to ask God, convict me of the thing that you want, then you don't trust God is really good. You don't trust that He really loves you because God will bring light and love and life. But as long as you hold on to your darkness, you can't live in the eternal life that He calls you to. Because you'll always be holding on to this thing and not living in the real life he wants you to live in. He wants to forgive you and heal you so you can move on and live your life in Christ. He says, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. God is your dad. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be a child of the king. God can heal you and will heal you from what you have done to others and what has been done to you. God longs to delight in you. And so let the Spirit of God blow freely through you. I tell you the truth. God speaks the truth so you can be free from your sins. And everybody who sees you will know that God did this. That God did it. And He calls us then to be those same type of people who extend that same type of love and grace and to speak on His behalf to the world around us so the world knows that God loves them as well. I tell you the truth. Let's pray. Father, This morning I ask that uh, you would teach us how to believe that truth that you have given us. That we wouldn't run from or hide from it. That we would trust you to be the good God that you are. Then when we ask you to take these things in our life and expose things, that we would trust that the things that you expose are the things that we truly need to give up. And that we would give them up. God, and then you would take and change us and move us so the world can see the love that you have for it through how we live. God, you call us to be your ambassadors, your, your spokespeople to the world around us. And honestly, we don't do a very good job sometimes because we don't believe you. Change our hearts today so we do believe you. So we do hold on to the truths that you have laid before us and that we honor you as our great God and Savior. 
who has come to bring glory to the Father and bring your kids back home. Help us to be hungry for you. Amen.